This morning I want to continue, uh, we, we touched on it somewhat yesterday, and it, it was about, on the subject of voices, voices, and I'm going to read again from what I read, uh, read from yesterday in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 6, and I'll read through 11. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 6, it says, Now, br- now brethren, if I, can, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, and again, just for a reiteration uh, and clarification purposes, tongues here, it's just simply, the Greek word is glossolalia, and it means languages. They are known foreign languages. It's not an angelic tongue. Uh, we said yesterday that every angel that appeared to the men in the Bible, they spoke a language which those men understood. So there was never any angelic gibberish of any kind. And so that's what that's talking about. Known foreign languages. So if I, brethren, and again, we said yesterday, brethren, that means when, when we see the term brethren, we, we see the fact that this is how much God so dearly loves us with his un, unimpeachable love for us. It's just an amazing thought. Now, so we could really say, now you, you absolutely loved ones by God Almighty. <laughs> if I come unto you speaking with these foreign languages, what will it profit? What will I profit you except I speak to you either by revelation? So in other words, a revelation always has to do with Jesus Christ and it only has to do with God the Holy Spirit taking the things of Christ and and making them known unto to us. Some say that the Holy Spirit takes the written word that Christ is and makes it a life-giving force when we receive it in humility, thereby making the adjustment uh, into a proper experience. So when it says that, well, I speak to you either by revelation or knowledge, or by preaching, or by teaching, and even things without life, giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, and really here it's tunes in those tunes, those particular sounds, how will it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself to the battle? We shared yesterday uh, about what Paul, the Holy Spirit had Paul going back to. He, he was sending him back in his understanding to Numbers, the 10th chapter in those first 10 verses, where it's the silver trumpet. We said yesterday that when you look in the book of Revelations and when the scene leaves the earth, where there is silver and where it's constantly needed, silver, speaking of redemption, In heaven, there's only gold because now we're in his presence. There's no need for this redemption even in that sense. It's all gold. It all has to do with the deity of God the Father revealed through Jesus Christ the Son. And so, but there in Numbers, the 10th chapter, it speaks of a trumpet. And the trumpet was made of two pieces of silver, and they were put together. We know that the, the number two in the scriptures speaks of a separation. It can be separation 
from that which is right and holy into that which is evil. But in this case, the silver trumpet spoke of being separated from evil, anything about the natural, being separated from that into the mind of Christ, which manifests God the Father to us. And so, again, that silver trumpet in the type, when they were delivered from Egypt, Egypt being a type of the world system from Pharaoh, a type of Satan, they are now delivered positionally. Their position changed. Their place and their position changed. They were taken out of one place and positioned and put into another. That's us and Christ positionally. But here, they, like us, they were in the wilderness, and the wilderness is going through the world system. They were a tent people. They never settled down on the earth in this world system. They were a tent people, and they were always ready to move. They didn't do a thing without listening to the trumpet. There were different tunes and different notes that the trumpet gave. For instance, they were to get up and go. That would be one sound. They were to stay. That would be another. There'd be a call to come and hear the word of God. That would be another. And then, in all finality, there would be a call or a trumpet call to prepare themselves for a battle. And, of course, this goes into the teaching for us in the spiritual sense. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood like they did. We, in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, we wrestle against what? Principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this, of this particular time, spiritual wickedness in the heights. So this is what is being taught here in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 8. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself to the battle? You see, we were born, saved or unsaved, we were born into a conflict. The height of the conflict will be even greater for the believer simply because of their position, their place now in Christ. We are a heavenly people even though we are on the earth. And so the increase of the conflict is that much more. And that reveals how much more we need to be continually dependent. That's what faith always speaks of and that's what prayer always speaks of. Absolute dependence on Christ and what his word has revealed to us, himself being the very revelation and manifestation of that truth. Now, 1 Corinthians 14, 9 says, So likewise you, except you utter, speak by, by language, words easy, easy to be understood. And the word easy there is, the, again, the Greek word significant. And, but this word also, easy, speaks this very, very uh, explicitly to us. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that what? Labor. Now, laboring, this has to do with a particular voice. A voice that speaks of, of labor. So... Uh, we all labor and struggle over certain things. And then it says, and, and heavy laden. Heavy laden means then that the struggles of others that they put on us from the voices that they hear. So Jesus said, come unto me. This is what does away with it. Because all labor 
and are heavy laden. All That's why all need to come. And that's what we do this morning. We come. And so Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, result, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest is something that is given, has to be given. And the only one that can give it is the only one, and that is Christ. And we know in Zephaniah 3 and verse 17, it says that God is resting in his love, which means that God, being propitiated, is resting in his son who did the propitiating. And then he invites us as the substitute, thereby being reconciled by the peace that Christ is in Ephesians 2 and verse 14. And then he, we begin to see what? We begin to understand our position, that very position and place. And so that's what it means to be easy. And what easy simply means is we will never be taught. We will never understand the supernatural voice, the supernatural language of the word that, that, that Jesus Christ is until we have a yoke. We will refuse to be taught. We need a yoke. We've sh- shared this and, and it bears repeating because we don't know anything as we ought to and uh, as we think we ought to. And God goes way beyond what we think and that's his love and his grace. But when it says the yoke there, we must remember in Scripture that when Jesus is calling us to this particular yoke that he has designed for our very makeup, knowing who we are, knowing who he made us to be in the newness of who we are in him, and also knowing the tendencies of the flesh, we need a yoke. And that is specifically designed by Jesus Christ. God the Father and Jesus Christ and brought out to us and made real in our experience through God the Holy Spirit. And so what this means simply is this, that Jesus Christ is not like two yoke, two um, yoke and in, in, in a double, uh, two uh, oxen in a double yoke. Jesus did not have a yoke around him and saying, now come here and yoke up with me. Because we know that based upon the type in Numbers 19, 1 and 2, that that red heifer, and in that sense, it speaks of a red heifer, a female, which meant in this sense that Christ was fully in his humanity. Not in his deity being equal with God, but in his humanity, he was fully obedient to the Father. He did not have to be restrained to do so. He lived in Instant obedience, constantly, constantly did. So that red heifer was to have no spot, no blemish, and no yoke had ever been on him. We need that yoke because it's that yoke, and that yoke, when we're yoked up to him, when we're restrained and kept close to Jesus, when we are, we only listen to one voice, and that's the voice in John 10, verse 3. John 10, verse 14, and John 10, verse 27. It is the one voice, the word, in John 1, 1, the word. And that word speaks of the closest, most unbelievable individual intimacy. And that's what the yoke brings us. This intense individual intimacy that can only be 
taught and, and realized experientially through that particular yoke that's designed by Jesus Christ for the particular individual that he designed. Which means that each of us have a portion to reveal Christ like only we could. <laughs> and that, again, of course, does away with all the comparisons. And we know that based upon the scriptures, we know that it is not wise it is, there's no wisdom, and meaning wisdom is Christ. There is no wisdom when we compare, when we compare one with the other. I believe it's 2 Corinthians 10, 12. But again, there's no wisdom. We're not operating in who Christ is and our own individuality when we compare ourselves with someone else. And so... We see the beauty of that because Christ is, not, is, of course, the power of God in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24, and he's the wisdom of God. All the way back in Proverbs, the 8th chapter, you can look at the 20s in that particular chapter and go right down to the 36th verse, and we will see clearly it's speaking of Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, there even in his pre-incarnate state with God the Father, which brings us back uh, to John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. But here, again, it says this, and we forgot to call Barbara. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. So here, in 1 Corinthians, 13, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 10, it says, there are, no, let me, let me finish in verse 9. So likewise, you accept, you accept you, you utter by tongue, language, words easy to be understood. And please, and please keep the, please keep in, in mind, please keep in mind this morning, again, Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then it says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you. That's individual. And what? See what it says? Learn of me. There's no learning without that yoke. We will be exposed to every other kind of voice other than his without that yoke. And so, take my yoke upon you, it says, and learn of me. See, all our learning is of him in our new image, our new nature. Learn of me. For I am, he says, I'm meek and lowly. In the original, it's I am gentle and humble. And then what you will find? You will find rest unto your soul. Your soul. So again, here it says, again, it's in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 9, so likewise you, except you utter by this language words easy or significant to be understood, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will just speak into the air. And I'll tell you where, based upon what we're just reading here, where every other voice that's outside of Christ comes from the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2 and verse 2. He is in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. He's the God of this world. And even in that sense, in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, he's the religious God of the world. And what religion is is being led by Satan out of the presence of God in Genesis 4 and verse 16, right to verse 21. Out of the presence of God, then you build a city and bring in all this other religion, all these other voices. You see? 
See, because knowledge, to have knowledge, there has to be understanding. To be understanding, there has to be words. And for words, there has to be a, a voice or a thought force expressed through a word or a voice. And this is what makes it so imperative for us to hear the right kind of voice, the only voice, the only thought of God is Jesus Christ, his son. He's the one thought and the one voice. Now here it says, you will speak into the air outside of a proper revelation and manifestation of Jesus Christ. Verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 14, it says, there are, it may be, so many kind of voices, kinds of voices in the world. Notice that? There are many kinds of voices in the world, and listen to this, and none of them is without signification or significance. And this is the significance of every voice, every language, every teaching outside God's one thought, Jesus Christ. It's John 10, 10a. The thief, Satan, comes to what? to steal, to kill, and destroy. But separated from all those other voices in the air around us, Christ said, I have come that you might have life. We've been sharing recently over a process now, I think of some months, that when it says that in John 10, 10, B, the B part, that we might have life, that speaks of the individual life that Christ has given us which is the equal of the new nature and the new image that he's given each of us individually. But then the abundant life is sharing that. Imagine that, the abundance of all the other supply of Christ in each vessel without an ounce, without a, 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 anything of comparing. What a beautiful thought and reality that is. But here, again, it says this in verse 11, First uh, Corinthians 14, Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I will be unto him that speaks like what? I as a Christian, just like an unsaved person or a barbarian who could care less, who listen to every single voice down the pipe and just be like a barbarian. And he that speaks will be like a barbarian unto me. Really, be unsaved. Because every single voice outside of Christ comes from the father of all lies in John 8, verse 44. And he, in Revelation 12 and verse 9, deceives what? The whole world. With what? Many kind of voices. And, and when he can deceive a Christian through bad teaching, then he can condemn them and accuse them in Revelation 12 and verse 11. Now, who does he, and verse 10, I should say, in Revelations 12 and verse 10, who does he accuse? He accuses the brethren. He accuses those that Jesus Christ himself, in Hebrews 2.11, is not ashamed to call them what? Dearly beloved ones in a family. Isn't that amazing? Not, it's no shame. No shame whatsoever. When we stay true to the one thought that Christ is to each of us in our own individuality. And what a beautiful truth that this is this morning. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of that voice, oh boy, I will be like unto him. I will be unto him that speaks what? I, I, I won't even understand a word of it. 
Now, we see where this started. We see where the whole world system with the many voices started. We said yesterday that we would share on this, the many voices. Here it is. There's God's voice. There's Christ's voice. And they're one and the same in John 10 and verse 30. There's Satan's voice. There's the believer's voice. There's the voice of the unsaved. There's the voice of the fleshly, worldly Christian. There's the flesh. Uh, there's the voice of the untaught or unskilled Christian. There's the voice of those that are still learning, and that's great. There's the voice of those that are growing in grace and knowledge in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. And there are many voices in this satanic world system, many, many voices, but none without significance, Not, none without a purpose. And that's why it's so need, needful for us to grow in grace. We don't grow in knowledge first, no. There is no proper understanding of the truth and knowledge of the Word of God apart from grace. And God gives us grace, and who does he give it to? He gives it to those that he's humbled. It has nothing to do with the pride of intellect, the pride of the natural fallen man. The Bible calls that science so falsely called in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 20. That's what it says. So who does he give it to? He gives grace. He gives grace. And then you grow in what? Grace. And then what? Now you can experience rightfully, the knowledge of Christ in this intimacy. And again, this, this is a needed yoke for every single one of us. But where did, the, where did all the, these voices start? Did you know that back in eternity, and did I know with you, as we're all being taught this morning, by God the Holy Spirit, who's taking the things of Christ, the Word, and showing them unto us so richly, that in Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, and if you start and you can see down in there, you can start around 10 and 11 and go right to the end of the chapter. But we see there, we see there where, where it's brought out that Lucifer, and remember, God never created Satan. He never created evil. Okay? Never did. He created Lucifer. He was the son of the morning. He was reflecting his creator, Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate state. Jesus' pre-incarnate state. He created everything. Jesus did in his pre-incarnate state in the Godhead. He, he created everything. We see that in John 1 verse 3 and in Colossians 1 and verse 16. He created those angels. But then there was a fall in Ezekiel 28 and verse 15. Satan, Satan was complete in all his ways. He was complete in all his ways. We just lost both of them. He was complete in all his ways, it says, until iniquity was found in him. And iniquity is an unsubmitted will. Iniquity is sin. Sin is pride. Pride is simply not your will, God, mine. My will. It's making a provision for me to reign with my own will in opposition to God's supernatural divine will. And that's what that goes into. Clearly goes into those things. We can see it. Now, again, here, 
this this morning, in the midst of all of this, this morning, we can see where the world system came from. World system came from Genesis, came from in, in Genesis 4 and verse 16. It says, Cain went out from the presence of God. The whole world system was founded upon the murder of Jesus Christ, the murder of him, and getting, and getting rid of him, wanting to get rid of him. And so that's what happened. That world system that's brought out in Genesis chapter 4, verses 16, right to, uh, to verse 21. But we see where that started. We see exactly where it had started. It started in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. That's where it started. Way back then. It started then in Genesis 3 and verse 1, where it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any creature of the field, any creation of God, the animal creation, which the Lord God had made. And he, and he said unto the woman, this is Satan using this, the uh, reptile, the, the, the animal, and he said unto the woman, Yea, God hath God said, You will not eat of the trees of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you will not touch of it, neither will you eat it. See, the moment she allowed, the moment she allowed the enemy to question a single thing about the word of God, instantly, what did she do? She began to add to the word of God. He said, you shall not eat it, eat of it. You shall not eat of it. And you add you begin to add when you, in, when you give place to the devil. In Ephesians 4 and verse 27, it says, give no place, topos, T-O-P-O-S in the Greek, give no place to the devil. You don't give him a specific place there. And uh, when we do, that we're mixing what we think is human thought, which is just really outside of Christ, is what? It's thinking with the prince and power of the air. He is the one who would give us those thoughts. And then we mix them with the word of God and there's where we get all this confusion and all of this bad teaching. So the, the, the enemy was subtle. He was very, very subtle. He is extremely subtle. And that's why we need constant dependence, constant teaching, constantly we need this. And I'm going to close it out early this morning a little bit early this morning and so that we can get a, a, a proper atmosphere for the rest of this, uh, possibly on Thursday. Uh, but here, I'm just going to go into, just very briefly this morning, this word subtle. Subtle. Remember, she's entertaining the voice of the enemy. The thief who comes to do what? Steal, kill, to what? Destroy, her capacity, and to destroy our capacity to thinking soberly and righteously and rightly with God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see this word subtle here in the Hebrew is arum, A-R-U-W-M, arum. And this is what it means. It is part of the word, a primitive root. Notice that? It's a primitive root of Aram, A-R-A-M, Aram. And what this means, this, it's a primitive root. 
You see, we got the root of this fallen nature way back here that was passed on from Adam all the way through to us in Romans 5 and verse 12, that old sin nature. And there are roots that God is dealing with. And if we don't have right teaching, it would be like you have weeds in your garden. You may cut them off at the surface, but if you don't dig down and get at those roots, they'll keep coming up again. And this is what false teaching, bad teaching, and and even no teaching can produce. But here, it's a primitive root, and this is literally what it means to make bare. In other words, he was trying to uncover, uncover Eve. That's what the enemy tries to do with us. Tries to uncover us, get us away from our proper covering experientially. And so it means to make bare, and it is only used, listen, this word is only used in the derivative sense, meaning we derive this thought. We're not the source of our own thinking. We either derive it from Christ, the word, or we derive it from the enemy, the father of all lies in John 8 and verse 44. It's always used in a derivative sense. What's this, what does this mean? All behavior is caused depending on the voice that we submit to, the words, the knowledge, the thought life. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, for us as Christians, the weapons of our warfare and our carnal has nothing to do with natural intellect, fallen nature apart from Christ. I I could declare all these things about Christ in the pride of a fallen nature because even the demons believe and they tremble in James 2 and verse 19. I could declare them, but I don't experience them. That's why the Bible teaches us as Christians, those that are in Christ, those that are the beloved, fixed in him in Ephesians 1 and verse 6, and in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, we are fixed in him. He can't touch our position in 1 John 5, 18b, but he goes after our experience. That has to do with the thought life. That has to do with the voice that we submit to in our experience That's why it says in Mark 4, verse 24, be careful what you hear. Luke 8, 18, be careful how you hear. James 1, 19, be more ready to hear. And we are more ready to hear when the word of God becomes engrafted into us in James 1 and verse 21. And that's something only God, the Holy Spirit, can do because there's only one theologian and one scholar. It's God, the Holy Spirit, based upon the word, even theologian, theo, God, logian, word. (laughs) It's God, the Holy Spirit, who engrafts that word. When when he humbled us, and then he gives us the grace, and that grace is an adjustment taking us out of the natural and bringing us into the supernatural mind of Jesus Christ so that we can function in our new nature, not the old, in the flesh, in Romans 8, 9, and in our new image, thereby only identifying ourselves with God's one thought, Christ. Everything else is what? It's a lie. From the father of all lies in John 8 and verse 44. Meaning no one else is in control of our life, no matter what they do. No matter where they go. We only have one master. (laughs) We only have one master. Can't serve two. I can't try and serve another. And make them be something that that they haven't been made to be yet in their experience. And some need more time. 
It could be that some individuals just need more time. And then what they might need is the patience of love being expressed. And that's what I think it could be a strong case. I really believe that in, uh, by God. But again, as we finish up this word, as we finish up this word around, and then we're going to get into it very specifically on Thursday when we have a much better platform to be able to share it. This is what it, this is what it means. Again, it's only in the derivative sense, in the sense of being smooth, smooth talker. You ever hear of a smooth talker? Yeah, a smoother, smoother, a, a smooth talker. One who's very cunning, cunning. One who seems to be so knowing, so knowing and so skillful. Some that seem to be so experienced and well-instructed seems to be that way. But if you look at this word, and again, I want to get into this in a very specific way on Thursday. Very specific way. And this word, also where we get our English word, cunning. 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 This is what cunning is. Even in our English, the word cunning implies the use of artifice to accomplish a purpose. That's what the enemy does with his lies. He uses lies whiles, in Ephesians 6.11, it says, we are not, be not ignorant of Satan's devices. Devices there is methodia in the Greek. It's his method. See, he's been robbed of his power, so he uses lies. He uses lies as his method of trying to deceive, get us into a place of deception, so he can accuse us. See that? Notice that? So, again, that word cunning implies the use of artifice to accomplish the purpose rather than open, candid, or direct means. Isn't that interesting? Hence, it means deceitful, trickish, employing stratagems. This is Ephesians 6.11, his devices, his lies. Employing stratagems for a bad purpose. Again, that word arum, A-R-U-W-M, is from the root word aram, A-R-A-M, and it simply is a primitive root. See, we have this root of this sin nature through the uh, passing on from originally from the first Adam. But we have life in the second Adam. The old in us has been crucified. It's not in the process of being crucified. It is crucified in Romans 6, 1 through 11. But here, again, it's employing stratagems for a bad purpose as opposed to the purpose of God. We see the purpose of God beautifully brought up, which is, has to do with our image in Christ. And that's those first three chapters of the epistle of Ephesians. But here, it means fraudulent contrivance. A primitive root, and this is what it means, to pile up. The enemy wants to pile up his lies through all these different voices. Again, that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds, roots, roots, 
casting down imaginations. And what are imaginations? And it's reasonings, it's thoughts based upon particular voices that we've been so long submitted to and we begin to function in learned behavior. And all behavior is, comes from some kind of a cause. And so, as we wrap this up this morning, the enemy wants to pile up and gather together all these confusing thoughts. All these confusing thoughts, you see? And that's what's the importance of having one head. You're a member of a body, and I am a member of a body, the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. They're made up of individuals in 12, 27, members in particular. And in Ephesians 4, uh, 4 through 6, one body. But that one body has one head. In other words, I may be a finger, I may be a toe, I may be an arm in this body. And, I, and, and that body can only function based upon those parts, but all have what? One head, one thought. One thought, you see, versus the many. One voice, one shepherd, versus many other voices. And none of them are without significance. So, Father, we just thank you and praise you for this brief time this morning. I just pray in the simplicity of this prayer that for all of us that will hear, that we will be prepared and ready to hear, Father, seriously. And that I don't care if it's work. Work will not interfere with the importance of the Word of God. It just won't. It won't. There will be no interference, Father. Yes, we have things to do. We do. But the most important thing is for you and I, all of us, as God gives us the grace to do so. <laughs> and we all need to be taught to come and hear the word of God, how important it is, because it's the only thing when we leave this earth is what we will take out off this earth. Everything else will be here and be burnt up, but not the gold, silver, and precious stones that have to do with the beautiful image that we've been created in based upon a new nature in Christ. So Father, just prepare us. I, I ask you prepare each of us, especially men, men, initiators, especially men, Father. I pray, I pray in Jesus' name that you would uh, give us the hunger, the starvation for the word of God, Lord then everything in its proper place. We can see it in Matthew 6 and verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God, the ruling of Christ in us. Then all these other things will be added unto us. It's not opposite. Father, thank you. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.